Oh, beautiful. And that is uh, Zama Jobe, Come With Me. And I guess, you know, when uh, everything is in sync, um, beautiful melody comes out. And uh, in South Africa, we need to be in sync in where we want this country uh, to go and uh, what is our uh, aim for this country and what are our common objectives. And unfortunately, we seem to be moving different directions, especially when it comes to race relations. Uh, and I guess uh, it's that obvious that uh, most South Africans uh, would wish that uh, racism would just disappear and it won't. Uh, we have to uh, work together facing uh, to the reality that we are different and uh, we are diverse in our uh, difference and, and diversity. How are we meeting one another um, halfway uh, in order for us to just uh, move to a South Africa that all of us would be proud of. And that is, uh, that's what you want um, as, as South Africans. And Kwezi um, Mabasa is joining me as part-time political scientist. Um, he's a lecturer at uh, Vets uh, University of Pretoria. And he's also a researcher at uh, the uh, political economy faculty at Mapungubwe Institute for Strategic Reflection. Good afternoon and welcome, Mr. Mabasa. Uh, afternoon, uh, afternoon to the to the listeners. Maybe we can start by just um, uh, unpacking. Is it that obvious, um, or is it obvious for South Africans that racism is a problem? Um, well, I think it's it's quite clear that it is obvious. Um, if one looks at both uh, documented research, but also um, just the anecdotal evidence from um, interactions amongst people, citizens from different races. It's quite clear that racism is still persistent in South Africa and it's still, a, it's still a challenge. And how does this impact on our socioeconomic development? And uh, I mean, how is it uh, imposed through power as well, uh, these racial identities? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's, it's important because we need to understand that racial identities um, are, are basically inherently or naturally linked um, to socioeconomic power and development. Because all forms of, of, of racial domination um, require also social economic exploitation and dominance over certain groups. And so when we speak about inequality in South Africa, we're not just talking about inequality in terms of class, but we're also speaking about racialized inequality. Mm. And, and of course, this is a huge challenge for the development of the country. Yeah. And can we, um, can we afford to be ignorant about this? No, we can't, um, because it's quite clear that if the racial tensions continue and the accompanying instability that comes with racial tensions, we won't uh, create uh, the, the South Africa that all of us aspire to, where it's more egalitarian, where people have ex- equal access to social services, mm. where there's less violence, and less prejudice and less hatred. So, yeah, yeah. And, and at the core of um, uh, transformation, uh, what are some of the areas that uh, we need to pay attention to, um, areas that uh, perhaps continuously draw us back? Why are we struggling so much with, with issues of race relation? Yeah, I mean, there are a number of areas. The first daring one is, of course, the social economic issues. If one just mm-hmm. looks at uh, income, access to assets, uh, access to basic services, and when one does a comparison between the different races, it's quite clear that the inequality is still prevalent there and it's, and it's structural. I think the second other issue is um, related to spatial planning. And I would argue that we still largely 
uh, exist or live in a community or in a society that is characterized by apartheid spatial planning and the mm. lack of, of sufficient integration. Um, I think also the debate around cultural norms and values and whose cultural norms are, and values are dominant in society is also a huge challenge. And then the last one, of course, is, is education. Um, I would like us to explore a bit on the special planning. Uh, When when you have uh, a democratic rule um, and and you have uh, what we would regard as a ruling party, in in this instance being the African National Congress, uh, does it make sense for them to continue that within development uh, you still use uh, the same plans uh, that were utilized uh, in in the apartheid era? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure whether it's the, the 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 failure of integrated uh, special planning can be attributed to the ruling party. Um, I think there are other structural factors that also determine special planning and integration. So, for example, the nature of investment and where investment goes mm. um, in, into different regions. That's that's something that I think goes beyond the ruling party itself. I think secondly, also uh, the issue around planning uh, social infrastructure so that it complements development and it complements integration. Um, so I think there are a number of other factors beyond the two that I've mentioned mm. that influence sort of special pain that go beyond the, the, the ruling party. Even, for example, uh, whether citizens themselves are willing um, to live in diverse communities which have a, a wide range of, of uh, recreational or cultural activities that can accommodate uh, the different backgrounds of South Africa. Um, and so it's not only a question of state power, mm. but it's also a question of citizenship, of citizens reconstruction, reconstructing their notion of a community so that it, 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 it sort of correlates with the notion of building a, a non-racist society. Yeah. But can, can we build a non-racist society without um, integration? And I'm asking this looking at a uh, case in point, Oranya. Yeah. Uh, you have a group of, of individuals who are uh, connected to or rooted in this is who we are and this is how we do things. Everyone else can just come in and observe um, but not try and impose. Uh, would that work for a democratic South Africa moving forward? No, it won't work. And I think it's showing itself that it, won't, that, that it doesn't work and it's not sustainable. Um, we really need genuine integration. But I think that integration is not only based on values, on me accepting uh, the other person from the other race or the other South African citizen. Uh, it goes beyond values. It also speaks about social infrastructure, such mm. as schools, uh, cultural activities, that also uh, ex- exemplify that integration. Um, and so if one wants to build this truly integrated society, it has to permeate different institutions within communities and within within different regions. It cannot be just based on just pure micro-level human-to-human interaction. Would you then say that uh, these racial tensions are also brought about um, by structural racism that indicated to people certain pockets of society that you are more than and 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 others you are less than? How do we then uh, move uh, beyond these descriptions? Yeah. Well, well, I think structural racism is interesting because I think it speaks to another point that I wanted to make, which is uh, around intergenerational racism, or what some have referred to as intergenerational trauma. The fact that you still have 
citizens, which we would argue are regarded as born free, but they still carry those racial views, those racial prejudices, and those feelings of racial exclusion. And the reason why they carry them is because they are reminded that even though they are so-called born free, they are structural impediments to them accessing mm. basic social economic services, accessing uh, various other social institutions on the basis of the fact that structural racism still exists. So until we transform the inequality within these various institutions that are spoken about, we're going to have this continued problem. And and I mean this is leading to also um, intergenerational trauma that uh, you also uh, mention in your writings, um, because uh, I I'm, I'm, I can only imagine that what happens to um, a generation of people who have grown up being told that you are better and they go to an environment uh, that says in actual fact we equal. Yeah, I mean. Um yeah, in some instances, it, it is the process of socialization, uh, which I'm talking about, where people are socialized uh, to believe a race, uh, race, racialized hierarchy. That's one element of it. But sometimes, even if people are not told, um, they also look at the race relations um, amongst all the citizens and adults. So, for example, if a kid looks at the way that the parent treats the, the domestic worker, or other working class people of another color, they learn from that. So that's mm. also a huge structural thing. Um, I I also think that even if sometimes they don't look at those examples, that people experience, as I say, when they are challenged with inequality and poverty yeah. and the inability to, to improve their livelihoods. Because when they dig deeper into the reasons and the rationale behind why, it all goes back to the phenomenon of structural racism. Uh, over different generations, and then they are reminded that they are black. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then, and and then we have all these challenges. And this is why I would argue, um, even during the Freedom of Four protests, um, I mean, these were students who were mostly born after 1994, but the same sort of feelings of exclusion, uh, the feelings of prejudice, uh, were articulated uh, in various forums. And when when you look at uh, racial prejudice as well, um, you did mention earlier that it's not based on values, irrationality, and morality. Uh, what is its primary coexistence, uh, and and how do we work around it um, together as a society? Yeah. So my so my 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 sense is that I'm not dismissing that. Of course, you have to change the values and the beliefs mm. and the identity issues. Um, I think those are important, but I think when we discuss values and beliefs outside of deeper social structural issues and, and, and inequalities, then we miss the point, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the, the perfect example of this would be if one thinks of the Constitution and various other documents, uh, the Freedom Charter of South Africa and so forth, they all speak about racial egalitarianism, equality, unity and diversity and so forth. But then sometimes that is juxtaposed against a social economic reality yeah. that contradicts those fundamental principles and values. And so we have to find a way of matching both the values and the social and the sociological and social economic context um, and transform that so that the values and the structure speak to each other. Um, and this is why you find some people even rejecting sort of the the, the, the racial and diversity and common and commonality associated with the early Mandela era mm. because they, they just associated with the purest values of course. Yeah. yeah. 
So should we uh, ignore all these warning signs? What is likely to happen? Uh, are we going to see a case of what's happening in other parts of Africa that uh, um, are struggling right now uh, with the democratic era? Yeah, I mean, it's quite clear. I mean, even though um, research evidence also illustrates that, illustrates that whenever you have increased exclusion, um, you're more likely to have instability. Um, not only in the political system, but also in communities mm. as well. And so whenever we think about race, everybody focuses mostly on the political arena at a macro level. But we forget sometimes about the communal incidents of racial prejudice and exclusion, yeah. which which are at the core of the problem, I would argue. So we're going to head down that road. But secondly, also, it's quite clear that if we want to transform South Africa, so that it achieves higher levels of human development, improves institutions, we need sort of a notion of common nationality or what is popularly referred to as social cohesion to achieve those goals. Um, and without those two, we're not going to make the improvements that we want to in different realms of our society. Mm. Um, but I must say that on the Africa question, I'm not, I'm not convinced that this, this, race, this race issue or even is, is something that's just unique to just the continent. Um, it's quite clear that it's a global phenomenon. It's happening in the U.S. and other areas uh, where the question of race is becoming a serious bone of contention. Um, and even in those contexts, it's linked to structural power and social economic issues. Uh, so some of the key issues include redress, access to basic services, right, uh, and decreasing inequality. Right. And, I would even, and I would even argue, sorry, that inequality is actually more dangerous than just absolute poverty. I can imagine because uh, there's yeah. uh, an equation of uh, imbalance of power there. Um, let, let's take a news break, uh, Kwezi. When yeah, we yeah. return, uh, would like to hear from you on 0891-104-207, WhatsApp voice note on 0614-104-107, and SMS is 40938 charged at 150, and you can join us at SAFM Radio, both on Twitter and Facebook, and hashtag SAFM Lifetime. I'm live and uh, Utsile Saku is back with the news. Good afternoon and welcome back, Utsile. Point one FM in C point. All right, taking your calls right now. This is Lifetime Live with me, Chris Alda Dudumashe. And you find us uh, 104 to 107 FM nationwide. It's SAFM Radio. And uh, joining me on the line right now is Kwezi Mabasa, who's a part-time political political science lecturer at uh, University of Pretoria. And we take your calls on 0891-104-207 and WhatsApp voice note 0614-104-107. And uh, we're asking, are we battling with race relations and what is at the core at the center of uh, this uh, battle and uh, uh, I mean two more than two decades later um, into our democracy we still see these headlines that really um, are unfavorable Uh, I mean I'm listening to the conversation now um, between a political party that is uh, defending uh, a teacher who took a picture and didn't see anything wrong with that picture uh, of children and depicted in a way that uh, um, increases uh, these racial divisions. And uh, when you're going to start from a premise of saying we don't see anything wrong uh, with the picture as a person who took the picture, 
for me, it just says perhaps we're not even seeing uh, racism uh, in, in the same light. Uh, could it be, Kwezi, that uh, perhaps, you know, being people being victims of, of the past, uh, whether they were recipients or, or perpetrators, that they don't see, we see things differently when it comes to race relations? Yeah, I mean, we will obviously see things differently because the very notion of being and being a citizen in South Africa, what constructed by over 300 years of of, 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 of racialized sort of norms and political values. And so, and that included instilling those in social institutions that I've mentioned before, churches, schools, and so forth, and even the economy. So people, they carry those values over different generations. But also, too, um, there is the phenomenon of subliminal racism, right? Where some people honestly believe sometimes that they are airing out a, a, a racially neutral comment uh, or political view when one digs deeper, it's actually underpinned by the subliminal racist undertone. Um, and I think those are the two, two sort of things that explain what you're speaking about when people don't really realize sometimes mm. that they are actually uttering race based statements or, or racially prejudiced statements. Yeah. Because most of them, I mean, when something like this happens, uh, when it hits headlines, there's always that uh, act of surprise. And, and you wonder, why are you surprised? Why does it not bother you that uh, my interpretation of what just happened, let, calling people little monkeys, uh, that it's unacceptable? Yeah, but not all of us have the same conceptualization of the sociological and political connotations of calling people bankies and other defamatory terms, and especially what those terms meant in the history of, uh, in the history of South Africa. Mm. Um, and I think that's where the problem starts. And that's why I, I'm arguing that until we reform the very institutions of socialization that inform these citizens' perspective, we're going to have this challenge. And I think that's why the debate on education and what we teach and on cultural norms and values is so important. Mm. Um, because I think it's, it's a first attempt to achieve what I'm speaking about. Yeah. So moving forward, uh, how, where do we house uh, the responsibility to, to help those wanting uh, to move South Africa to a better place? Well, the responsibility is on all of us, right? Um, and I'm saying this because there is a preoccupation in South Africa with political parties and leaders coming up with all the solutions for our racial problems. I think it's with all of us. Number one, it's quite clear that the, the conceptualization of citizenship and of the human being in South Africa is steeped in racial prejudice, right, because of the history of the country. Mm. So we need to think of different ways and mechanisms of addressing this through various social institutions. And I think things like the socialization in the families, uh, reforming education, uh, and also social economic redress are important to, to achieving this. Um, I think it's also quite clear that if we don't implement the various redress measures properly, especially the ones in the economy of South Africa, mm-hmm. we're going to continue to have these racial antagonisms and tensions amongst amongst different groupings. Um, the third one is to have honest uh, conversations about how the system of racialized capitalism in South Africa has created various race-based hierarchies mm. and have an honest conversation about them, acknowledge them. Um, I think the fourth thing also is around history. Um, I mean, one of the things that's also found in research is that what's also fueling the racial tensions 
is that, that we have this contested conception of history. Um, and, and so we have to really have a serious debate about the history of that. And I think this even came out in the, in the unfortunate sort of discussion with, uh, with I think it was uh, uh, Rupert in the, in the, in the Power FN debate, yeah. Yeah. Right, so thank you, thank you. But let, let me quickly read some of the messages um, that yeah. have been sent on our tweet, uh, Twitter handle at SAFM Radio. Uh, Lysander says, racism, uh, we are too reactionary in dealing with racism. For example, we have World AIDS Day, um, we have Women's Day, but no race integration day or something uh, where we get to pay attention to the fact that we are different and how are we going to help one another integrate and good point indeed uh, Lysander. Uh, Jeffrey Mokholos is saying I'm of the belief that uh, uh, white men who are still reeling after uh, practicing uh, sickness of racism have to be harshly dealt with remembering what um, had apartheid done uh, remembering what apartheid did to destroy and destruct the lives of black masses in a country of our uh, birthright and uh and there's i mean some sms's are stuff that i can't read live on air why are we so angry though yeah because it speaks to the core of who we are and also the history um and unfortunately there's a history of not only economic subjugation but also mm. ontological subjugation cultural subjugation um, and exclusion and and the remnants of that still exist in society mm. and so there's this constant reminder and and that's why i do believe it is a trauma that's why people are angry and yeah. um, and i think um it's it's it's, it's quite unfortunate that it is something that we need to address urgently yeah but i think that's where the anger comes from um, and, and i also just want to say something about this also the way you understand both apartheid and colonialism sometimes is limited I we agree. only understand them as political macro-structures. Mm. I think that both systems, especially apartheid, were quite sophisticated structures of racial domination because they had different elements um, to, that, that were associated with, with both of those systems. So, for example, apartheid required domination in politics, in religion, in education, in culture, in where people live, in even sharing public amenities. Yeah. And so, when we think about dismantling uh, sort of the, the remnants of that system. We have to understand how sophisticated mm. it was and the different elements that, that basically made up those. And that it's going to take work. I mean, Which people said... People sat and, and strategized and uh, put building blocks into building that system and therefore dismantling it is, is going to take some intelligence. It's not something we can wish away. Uh, just uh, yeah. a, last min- a last message, Nazim Khrutbom, uh saying white people are just still angry that blacks took over the country. Is it the case? Uh, I, I think that's a simplified way of looking at it. Um, but thank you so much uh, for your contributions. And uh, thank you for taking our call, uh, Kwezi Mabasa. I know that uh, you're contributing to a book that's coming up um, uh, shortly, talking about uh, racism uh, post-apartheid. When is it going to be released? So the book is an edited volume from various authors who come from different countries mm-hmm. uh, that have experienced uh, some form of set like uh, racialized capitalism. It will be released in, in March. The book is published by the Fitch University Press. Looking um, forward. Yeah. It seems like and, it's going it, to be an interesting read because we need to begin these conversations. 
Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's uh, Kwezima Basa, who's part-time a political science lecturer at the University of Pretoria and also researcher uh, in the Faculty of Political Economy at Mapungube Institute for Strategic Reflection. And right now we move straight to our words of wisdom by Bishop uh, Maponga. And uh, let's pay the bills first. <laughs> 